Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for that again. Uh, something I failed to mention uh, as you make your way to Titus, chapter number one, Titus chapter number one. Um, I had an idea of what I was going to be preaching on um, since this is the last Sunday before the new year, kind of launching us into the new year. And last week in our reading, some of you have been going through the New Testament with, with me and us um, and the plan we were on last year does not go from Matthew to Revelation, but it, it, what it was was a plan that had us reading one chapter a day, five days a week. So Monday through Friday, and then on the weekends you could use that to review, read something else, maybe Old Testament, poetry sections, um, whatever that may be. And what we found is that that falls out almost exactly uh, 52 weeks of doing that fulfills the chapters of the New Testament. And so the last two books, so last week, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, was finishing 2 Timothy chapter 4, and then Titus 1, I think, was Christmas Day, 1, 2, 3, and then Friday was Philemon. And um, the reason I mention that is as I was going through reading Titus, the Lord was like, this ties in with exactly what you're going to be preaching on. And so you might want to put a marker, all right? Put your marker because we're going to be there at the beginning. We're going to come back to Titus. I have more scripture in today's message probably than any, probably any I've ever preached. This is a Bible message, lots of scriptures, 21 passages. Some of you right now are like, oh, brother, what are we in for? Uh, I'll read them quickly. We're not going to camp long. But the reason I'm mentioning this is in the course of my reading the Bible, I found that it applied right with where God had had us going. And so the reason I say that is, uh, what about 2019? Um, if you have a reading plan for the Bible, I hope you will plan. Everyone. You say, I'm not even a Christian. Read the Bible. Be careful, though. If you read the Bible, you may become a Christian. I'm not saying you by reading the Bible, that makes you a Christian. That should become clear in our message today. But it is quite convincing, and it's quite powerful. And so what I did, there, is so, there are so many reading plans out there. I just want to encourage you. You say, I want to read. I don't want to, maybe you want to read through the whole Bible. There's different ways to do that. Maybe you want to read through the New Testament like many of us did last year. Maybe you want to read through the Old Testament uh, or some other version. You can click that in on in your computer, Bible Reading Plans 2019. You'll see several options come up. Scroll through it. you got tomorrow. And then kick that off uh, on Tuesday. But if you would like... One that, that I printed off this morning, I have some copies here. I have a few copies over at the Welcome Center, and I have some copies going out the main door. Uh, this one, if you wanted to do like last year, it has, this has two readings each day. If you want to go through the entire Bible, each day of the week, Monday through Friday, has an Old Testament passage or section to read and a New Testament. So if you want to do both, or you say, I'm just going to do Old Testament this year, okay, then this would help. Or you just want Testament or again both and then you'll see on this one WE which means weekend so it just has one reading for the weekend so you've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday you can do both or just one and then on the weekend one option of a tool that is printed out here for you this morning if you do not already have yours with you all right as I said earlier happy new year's eve eve um 2019's coming, a couple of days. How do you feel about it? Don't answer that out loud. I really want you to think about it. Are you optimistic? 
honest, be, ask yourself, what are my, some of you are like, I hadn't thought about 2019. Others of you are like, I'm kind of excited, 2019, it's coming, I'm optimistic. There's someone here this morning, you're like, kind of dreading it, you're pessimistic. Uh, some of you are like, it depends on what category we're talking about here. I'm optimistic about some things, a little pessimistic about some other, a little indifferent about some other things. So maybe you're thinking it depends on what you're talking about. Today's message is for everyone, but it is particularly a message for Christians. If you are a Christian, I want to tell you this morning from God's Word, listen, I'm going to tell you what you should expect to happen in 2019. You say, you're going to tell us what's going to happen in 2019. I'm going to tell you what you should expect under normal circumstances, what a Christian should expect in the coming year. You say, what is it? Here it is. Here's the message. And I'm going to try to prove this from the scripture. If you are a Christian, now there's some sitting here this morning that are not Christians. And there's some listening or, or viewing online right now. They're not Christians. So, so this does not apply to you unless you become a Christian. If you are a Christian, here's what you should expect. You should expect to move and grow in godliness in 2019. That's what you should expect. You say, where do you say that? Why do you say that so confidently? Where do you get off saying such a thing as we should expect to grow in our godliness in 2019? Look at Titus chapter 1. We're going to springboard from chapter 1, a little section, and then we'll be in chapter 2 in a minute. And again, we'll keep coming back to the chapter 2 passage. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Now, here's what Paul is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to one of his young protégés named Titus, who's a young pastor. Titus is on an island named Crete. Crete, just above Africa, down below Europe. Titus has been sent there. There's some brand new churches down there. They're not well established. And Titus is to go and establish them. And so Paul is giving this letter to help Titus do his work. Verse 1. Where's Jeff? Get off saying that we're supposed to grow in godliness this year. Paul a servant of God. He says, I serve God. And an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle of Jesus Christ is one who is directly taught by Jesus and sent. Watch what Paul's saying. I serve God and I've been sent by Jesus. Why? He tells you. I serve and I'm sent for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So what he's saying is, the reason I serve God and I'm sent from Christ, the reason I preach is to help God's people, even those who are not yet God's people, but they will be God's people. My preaching is to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. Get them saved. Paul, why are you serving and why were you sent? For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. So it doesn't just stop at salvation he says they will then grow in their knowledge of the truth, grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we're growing in real truth, we're growing in knowledge of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul, what's your ministry all about? It's for the sake of the faith of God's elect and that their knowledge, that they will grow in the knowledge of the truth. Watch this next line. Which accords with godliness in hope. Listen to this. 
Hope does not, New Testament hope does not mean, boy, I hope so. We're sure hoping. We're wishing. I'm wishing this happened. No. Hope in the New Testament is a confident expectation. This is going to happen. This, again, not wishy-washy. This is going to happen, and it's in the forefront. When it's hope, it's in the forefront. Confident. This is really happening. This will happen. Expectation. It's eager longing for something. Verse 2 again. In hope of eternal life. Eager, longing, confident expectation of eternal life. Which God, who never lies. This verse right here changed my life when I was 12 years old. I used to doubt. I used to, you know, I'm saved. Oh, no, do I lose my salvation? Do I need to do it again? Am I really saved? Am I not? Every time I heard a message on hell, boy, I'd start repraying the sinner's prayer again. This verse changed my life. Jeff, wake up, dude. God never lies. If you have eternal life, it's called eternal life. Verse 2 again. In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. Back in eternity past, God promised anyone who will put their faith in Jesus will go to heaven. Let me say that again. Anyone who will put their faith in Jesus will go to heaven. So verse 3. And at the proper time, 2,000 years ago, this truth was all, verse 3, Paul says, manifested in his word, God's word, God's word, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the commandment of God our Savior. Paul is not arrogant. Paul is not boastful and proud. Paul's just saying the facts. The time has come. God has manifested his truth in his word through my preaching. And so I'm just today trying to preach what Paul received from God directly. Verse 4 Tells us who the letter is to. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. I do not have time this morning to tear verses 1 through 3 all apart. So I'm going to give a summary statement for us to springboard from. Paul says his service and being sent is so his preaching will lead God's people, whether they already have or haven't yet, God knows, Lead God's people to faith in Jesus Christ, and then they will grow in their understanding and knowledge of the truth. Watch this. Those things, get them saved, and then get them learning more and more about Christ. That coupled with confident expectation, eager longing, hope of eternal life. The end of verse 1 and tying into verse 2. Here's what he's saying. That always leads to godliness. You get that combo. Real genuine faith in Christ coupled with knowledge of the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and of his word coupled with confident expectation that always leads to godliness. That's why I can stand and say, Christian, if you're a Christian, you should expect to grow in your godliness in the coming year. So here's our next question. How is this going to happen, Jeff? How is it going to happen? Verse, flip over if you would. We're going to look at chapter 2 in a moment. I'm going to give you three thoughts about how this Growing in godliness will happen. Number one is going to sound very simple. The, point, the first point in particular is going to sound very simple, but it is important. Here it is. Here's how it will happen. Christians are called to live godly lives. Christians hear that. If you're writing that, write it real quick, but put your attention back quickly on what the Word of God is teaching us. Christians, you say, that's me. Identify yourself. Christians are called to live godly lives. So for the next few minutes... If you've heard me preach for years and years or for the last year, you're going to say, now, Jeff sounds a little different this morning. I'm trying to preach a Bible message balanced in its parts. So I'm, 
I've determined this morning. When I'm on the first point, I'm going all in on the first point. And when I get to the second point, I'm going all in on the second point. And they will not contradict. They will complement, Lord willing. Number one, Christians are called to live godly lives. Look at Titus 2. So we're moving ahead in the letter, verse 11. This is a Bible message today. I'm going to really be just filling the message with words from God. That's the main thing. Titus 2, verse 11. How do we know that Christians are called to live godly lives? Paul tells Titus, for the grace of God. Every time you hear grace, you should be thinking gift. God's gift could be salvation. It could be an enablement. It could be an ability and authority. These are God's gifts. It could be material things. You may be able to touch it, but watch what particular type of grace Paul refers to. For the grace of God. It's a gift. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Some people pull that verse out and say, look, everybody eventually gets saved. What that means there is all kinds of people. This is a big part of Paul's ministry. It's not just Jews who are getting saved, Gentiles as well. All people, all kinds. Does not mean every individual person. Verse 11 again. Now I'm going to read verse 11 to 15 and we'll make some brief comments. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training. Do you see that? Bringing salvation. Verse 12 switches gears. Training us. Who's us? The ones that got saved as a result of what verse 11 is talking about. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's one side of the coin. Renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. How? Waiting for our blessed hope. Again, our confident expectation. What's the Christian's blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Watch what verse 14 says about Jesus Christ. Who gave himself. We sang that a moment ago. Who gave himself for us. Why? To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And then, as if it wasn't clear enough, Paul tells Pastor Titus, Declare these things, exhort, strongly encourage, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Titus, you preach this, you declare it, you exhort people with this. If it takes it, you rebuke people with these truths. Don't let anyone just blow you off and disregard you. If they're a Christian, they need to be in tune with what Paul is saying for Titus to preach, declare these things. So again, I cannot right now tear apart verses 11 to 15. So I'm going to summarize it and then try to prove it. Here we go. After God's grace saves us, it trains us. It trains us negatively and positively. It trains us to renounce ungodliness worldly. These means worldly, sinful, fleshly, carnal, passions. Renounce those. You are not my boss anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. Put those down. That's the negative training. And then in the positive side, verse number 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions on one side of the coin. Then flip the coin over. Here's the positive side. God's grace trains us. After it saves us, it trains us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. 
Look down if you would, verse number 14. Jesus Christ who gave himself. So here's the question to Jesus. Jesus, what are you going to do to save these people? What are you going to give? What are you going to give to save these people right here from hell? He says, I give me. Me for them. They have sinned. Their sin must be punished. I'll take the punishment. Punish me instead of punishing them. Why would he do that? The text tells us very clearly. To save us from lawlessness. That not only means he died on the cross. To save us from the penalty of our lawlessness. God gave his law. We blew it off. We rebelliously acted like there is no law of God. Though we know that the law of God says don't lie and honor your father and your mother. And don't blaspheme and don't steal. We know that but we do it anyway. He saved us not only from its penalty, but watch. The whole reason he died on a cross to save us is to save us not only from its penalty, but from out of the lawlessness. I'm saving you from the lawlessness, not to stay in the lawlessness. Why did he die on a cross? The text tells us to purify us as his property. You say, yeah, it's 2018. We don't refer to that anymore. That's politically incorrect. That's a little abrasive. You need to reword that. If you don't like the idea that you have been bought as God's property, then keep reading the Bible and you need to adjust your thinking. You are property made by God, bought by Jesus Christ if you're a Christian. His whole purpose, to make a pure people, a people who are saved out of lawlessness. So our first point this morning is this. Christians are called to live godly lives. If you oh, you got to get this point. It's all through the New Testament, so let me prove that. If you want to fly through with us, if you want to go back to Matthew, I'll try to go hit just a sample of texts, which are scriptural exhortations, scriptural calls for Christians, us, we Christians, if you're a Christian, to live a godly life. Matthew chapter, again, I'm hitting just just a, a sample text. I'm going to hit six passages, 21 verses. You're getting ready to read 40 examples of calls to godly living. 40 examples in 21 verses. Here they come. A couple of verses in Matthew. Matthew 10. Look at verse number 21. Jesus is sending out his disciples in groups. And he's telling them what's going to ha- happen to them. And then it's represented what's going to happen through the ages. And again at the end of the age. Watch what Jesus predicts. Brother. Actual physical, biological brother. Brother will deliver brother over to death. You're going to find out why. One brother turns another brother, their brother, over to be killed, knowing that that's going to be the result. Why would they do that? Father, his child. Jesus predicts the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Parents having children put to death. Children having parents put to death. Brother having their brother put to death. Why in the world? Verse number 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. It will be about me. It's coming a time and place, and it's happened for 2,000 years. Certain people, if they put their faith in Christ and they go public with it, it could cost them their life, and they get ratted out by family. Family hates them because they've taken the name of Christ. Jesus predicted it. Watch the end of verse 22. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures... These things are going to happen. People are going to be dying. People that believe in me will be dying. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, you can't hear that this way this morning. So I guess by enduring, we're earning our salvation. No, Jesus, what Jesus is teaching here, 
The ones who endure to the end, they endure to the end because they are true Christians. They endure because they are Christians. They're not enduring to become Christians. What he's saying is Christians will endure. Hear me this morning. Christian, endure. Endure. Flip over to Romans. I'm going to find a few. I'm going to find a whole flurry. Say, wow, I thought you said there was going to be 40. That looked like one. Right, endure. Flip over to chapter 6, and you'll see the flurry. Christian, this is for you. You need to internalize this. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Our point this morning is Christians are called to live godly lives. Is that so? Earlier in chapter 6, Paul says that when Jesus died on a cross, the way we get saved is we put our faith that God places us in Christ. Don't have time to really break that down right now. But when Christ died, it counts as if we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he rose from the dead, it counts as us being resurrected. This is true. And what he says earlier in the passage is, let me just read it. For one who has died has been free from sin. We are free from sin. You say, okay, that's great to know. That that knowledge will do you no good unless you implement verse 11. You say, I died in Christ. That means I died to sin. I'm free from sin. It's not my master. That is absolutely a fact. It will only help you in life when verse 11 kicks in. So you also must consider yourselves. You say, well, I know it. But here comes sinful temptation. At that moment, you have to consider yourselves. Dead to sin. You're not my boss. I don't have to do you anymore. Talk to your sin. And consider yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm dead to you. You're calling out to me. I don't have to listen. But there's this other thing I know in my heart, in my life, in my soul and spirit. I hear God speaking to me. I didn't hear him before. God is new in my life. Verse 12. More commands. So you must consider yourself dead. Consider yourself alive to God. There's two. Verse number 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let let it be the boss. To make you obey its passions. Don't let that happen. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Your members is your mind, your eyes, your mouth, your ears. The idea here is stop presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. Here comes Satan. Hey, I need somebody to tell a nice juicy lie. I'll do it. Pick me. Use my mouth. Stop doing that, Christians. I, I, I need somebody to really slander a coworker tomorrow at work. Oh, I'm good at that. Stop doing that. Don't do that. Amen, Jeff. You're right. That's what the text is saying. Thank you. I hear that one. Thank you. <laughs> but look what the rest of the verse says. But... Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Stop presenting your members for the wrong thing. Hey, I'm making my members available for these sinful things. Stop doing that. Watch this. Present, make available your whole self, everything you have. This is a one-time thing. God, I give you all of me and everything I have is yours. Have you ever done that? But you're not done. The end of the verse, we have these... These calls to live godly, the end of the text says, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. God says, I want someone's eyes to look at my word today. God, I'll do that. I want someone's mouth to go encourage someone. I want someone's mouth to instruct a sinner how to go to heaven. God, 
Use my mouth. I'll do that. I need someone's hands to help someone. I need someone's feet to do this. I need someone's, I need need a good listener today. Lord, use my ears. Who do I need to listen? Have you ever made yourself available? Stop doing these things. Start doing these things. Boy, that sounds like Titus chapter 1. Flip over to Romans 12. Flip over to Romans 12. Here you'll see some more. And I do have to go faster. Romans 12. Verse number 6. Once you become a Christian, you have spiritual enablements called spiritual gifts from God. If you're a Christian, you say, well, I don't think I'm one of those Christians. Oh, yes, you have one. If you're a Christian, you have at least a spiritual gift. You need to find out what it is. Verse 6. Having gifts. Not unsaved people. Not non-believers in Christ. These are for believers in Christ. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. This is God's decision. He decides who gets what gifts. Having gifts, that's just a given, that differ, his choice, according to the grace given to us. And then he goes into this list of eight. But before he says that, watch what the Bible calls us to do. Let us use them. If it's prophecy, if it's teaching, if it's leading, if it's contributing, if it's giving, showing mercy, whatever it is. Use your gift. Use it, Christian, this morning. You're called to live godly lives. God's given you a spiritual gift. Are you using it? How are you using it? When are you using it? Flip over to chapter, well, you're still in chapter 12. Go down to verse number 9. Here's a whole flurry. You're getting ready to read 13 commands. 13. The Bible is full of them. Let love be genuine. Christian, abhor what is evil. Hate it. Disdain it. Let it make you sick. Don't dote and gloat and love on it. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. If you want to outdo each other, outdo one another in showing honor. Honor each other. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Here's one. Rejoice in hope. I can't just rejoice. Do it. Rejoice. Stop and think about eternity and the glory of God and the expectant, confident expectation. All of a sudden you'll find yourself, I am rejoicing. I'm being lifted up. Rejoice. Be patient in tribulation. It's coming. Endure. Persevere. Be constant in prayer. Boom, boom, boom. Here they come. Contribute to the needs of the saints. That's real simple. That's that's. Black and white. Give to the saints when they have needs. And seek to show hospitality. Here comes someone that's a stranger. We don't know them. What are you doing over here? No. Welcome them in. You got lunch plans? Come over to our house. Open your home. These are Christians called to live godly lives. Two more quickly. Flip over to Ephesians. If you want to follow on your Bible, it will be on the screen. But if you want to follow on your Bible, Ephesians chapter 4. Another five-verse section. This time you're going to see 15 or more calls to godly living verse number 28 let the thief no longer steal you stole before took what wasn't your let the thief Paul says no longer steal stop stealing but rather literally the opposite let him labor doing honest work with his own hands why not just to pay your own bills and have your own things notice what the text says to Christians so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Stop taking and start working and being a giver. Here's a big one. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's a whole boom, boom, boom. Here it comes. Let all bitterness, you say, that's me, wrath, Anger, clamor, slander, let all of that be put away from you. Along with all malice. Here's some more. Be kind to one another. 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Wow, 15 or more things in those verses. One more here quickly. Jude, verses 17. Jude, verse 17. There are no chapters in Jude. Someone, if I can find, I have too many places in my text today for me to put markers at each one, so I am going to have to be a little slower than I normally like to be. Jude, verse 17. Watch what the, your Bible says to us. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, There will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, here it comes, you. So it's Christian. You say, hey, do I need to like do this? You need to do this. Should I be like paying attention to what these verses are saying? You're going really fast today. You need to be paying attention and saying to yourself, I need to do that. I need to do that. I think I'm already doing that. Well, I've got a lot to do. Verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up. Somebody just do for me. And I wish people would just build yourselves up in your most holy faith. And praying in the Holy Spirit. That's you. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is not you keeping yourself earning the love of God. This is keeping yourself in love with God. Keep yourself. You're like, I don't think I'm really in love with the Lord this morning. You need to work on keeping yourself in the love of God. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Six passages. 21 verses. Over 40 commands. I'm going to say something. I don't mean this arrogantly. Some would say, yeah, Jeff, you shouldn't be arrogant about that because you're way off base. But I'm just going to tell you what I believe in my heart. There's no preacher in this county who has stronger beliefs in the grace of God than I do. I believe that because I don't see how they could. There may be some preachers who have as much of a strong belief in the grace of God. You say, what do you mean when you say the grace of God? Grace is about what God does. It's what God does. Nobody has stronger belief in this county in the grace of God, what God does, than I do. If you have a doubt in that, go to the website and listen to Romans 9, 10, and 11 talk. Made a lot of people mad when I preached through that because we so strongly fell on God's grace. It's what God does. But I'm saying that for this reason. I am a Bible denier if I ignore the fact that the New Testament is full of imperatives for Christians. Guys, it's about the grace of God. You're going to find that out next point, by the way. There's a little teaser. Second point's going to sound that. Now, that sounds like how Jeff usually preaches. You need to hear this first point. The New Testament is full. I'm telling you, hundreds, hundreds of imperatives, commands. Do this. Don't do that. You know, like, yeah, Jeff, what do we need to do with that? Um, when you hear and read very clear imperatives in the Scripture, you need to do everything in your power to implement those things into your life. Christians, that's what you You have been called to live godly life. So watch, here, here it comes. So Jeff, if I'm hearing you correctly, it basically sounds like before we're saved, we're trying to keep the law of God, not doing the, the, the law of Moses, not doing so well. So when we become a Christian, we pretty much trade in the law of Moses for these newly worded New Testament set of rules to be encumbered by. Uh, no, that is not what I'm saying. Well, Jeff, it sure sounds like we're trading in the law of Moses for the New Testament laws of Paul and the gang. 
Trade out one set of rules, new set of rules. No, much is different here. Much is different. Why did we have the law? Do you remember? The law shows us the holy nature of God. Gives us a hint. This is what he likes. This is what he doesn't like. That's important. The law shows us we're sinners. The law stirs up our sin. You're like, no, that doesn't sound right. Study it in Romans. It actually stirs up by telling us, don't do that or that or that. Our rebellious spirit stirs up and all of a sudden we start doing those things. Even though we know the Bible says not do them. It shows us God's nature. It shows us our nature as sinners. It stirs up our rebelliousness. And it points us to Christ. You need a Savior. Wow. (laughs) I can never do these things. I need a Savior. That's what the law does. It's really good at it. That is night and day difference from what I'm talking about this morning. You say, well, it sounds the same. What's the difference? Write this down. I'm going to go quicker than I have time. So what I want you to do is take this home and chew on it. I'm going to try to use plain language. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. When it comes, and there's more. This is just a sample list. I literally had to stop my mind from going, I'm going to give you three. When it comes to godly living, a New Testament Christian is motivated by love for God and not by trying to earn their salvation. That's night and day difference. Very different. A New Testament Christian, hey, when you read your Bible and you see these things, why do you try to do those things? I love God, and if that's what pleases Him, I want to do it. Oh, so you're trying to earn yourself. Oh, no, 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 there's no pressure whatsoever. Pressure is off. This is not me living under pressure. Boy, I better do this, or I'm going to go to hell. I, I better do this, and I'll earn my way to heaven. Oh, no, no, no pressure whatsoever. Salvation's covered by Christ. What we're motivated by is the love for God. Second is very similar. When it comes to godly living, a New Testament Christian has as a purpose to please God. I love Him. I'm not trying to earn salvation. I want to please God and glorify God with my life. That's not the Old Testament law. Watch this. I just want to make God happy, and apparently this is the life that makes God happy. If I live a sinful life, it's going to be a bad reflection on Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't want to wallow in sin. Something happened to me when I got saved. I just don't want to wallow in sin anymore. It just doesn't glorify God and I still sin, but I just don't want to live that life anymore. That's different. Third thing. When it comes to godly living, a New Testament Christian, here's the difference, is equipped with the internal power of God's Spirit rather than by their own willpower. You remember how well your willpower, I'm going to do better, January 1. Got me some resolutions. Yeah, how long did that last? I'm going to stop doing that, and I'm going to start, and I'm going to be good, and God's going to see this. Yeah, maybe a few minutes, a few hours, a few days, maybe a few weeks. Willpower gets you nowhere. God's spirit's power in you. Whole different ballgame. He gets all the credit. That's different. But if anything was clear in the earlier passage, when we went through 21 verses, 6 passages, hear this. It became crystal clear to me, and they're just a sample. I'm telling you, there are hundreds of them. It became crystal, crystal clear to me that those passages illustrate, listen, the Christian life is one of effort on the part of the Christian. I'm confident in preaching that. The Christian life is effort on the part of the Christian. Don't 
coast. Hey, I'm a Christian going to heaven. I've read the Bible. I know what it says about eternal life. Titus 1-2, Jeff, God who never lies. I've got it. So I'm just, I'm just on autopilot. No, for 2019, for you to grow in your godliness means you will have to give effort to grow in your godliness. Do it. Now point number two. Ultimately, God produces our righteousness and godliness. Ultimately, God produces our godliness. Go back with me, if you would, Titus 2 again. Go back there for a moment. I told you you might want to put a marker there. Verse 11. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Again, not, all, not every individual. All kinds, all types. Watch, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God brought salvation. The grace of God trains us to renounce and live. It's the grace of God. That renouncing ungodliness, renouncing worldly passions, and the ability to live godly lives, self-controlled, Upright lives. Where does that come from? That only comes from God's power. You don't have it of yourself. God's power supplies the ability, the grace, the enablement. That's a gift. He gives you the ability. So let's write it down as a clear note. My notes this morning, I hope, are just simple simple ideas, simple concepts drawn from God's word that literally a fourth grader could read and say, I know what that means. Here's one. The grace of God that saves us, 1979 for me, is the same grace of God that enables us to see godliness become a reality in our life. The same grace that saved Jeff Bartlett is the same grace of God that has, by God's grace, by His ability, His power, that I'm not the same person had I not been saved in 1979 as a nine-year-old boy. My life would be a whole lot different. I have plenty of problems, plenty of sin on my own, even being a Christian. But life would have been so much different the last 39 years without this grace of God that brings salvation and trains us. Go with me if you would. Leave a marker. Romans again. This time chapter 8. Romans 8. A very familiar passage, but it applies here, Lord willing. I think it does. Romans 8, I think you see the text, maybe on your handout, Romans 8, lots in these three verses, so I'm going to try to do a little mini, mini, mini sermon here, here we go, here's your Bible, here's God's word, this makes it authoritative, it's going to happen, verse 28, Christian, really tune in, hey, like, hey, wait, 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 wait. Romans 8, 28 through 30, this sounds important, here we go, and... We know that for those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. To me, those last two words of verse 28 are the key to the three verses. His purpose. That's the big underlying thing. How in the world can Paul say that we know this? Verse 29 says why? For, for, because, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. 
predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. Why? In order that He, that's to me the biggest thing in the text. Here's the biggest purpose. In order that He, His Son, might be the firstborn among many brothers. God, what is your purpose in everything? My son, <laughs> he's going to be the firstborn, the top, the highest rank among many. And they will be conformed to his image. This is so sure that verse number 30, I point it out every time I go there. I want to say this so often every time we go to this passage that you repeat it anytime you look at it or talk about it with someone else. This is so strong, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called And those whom he called, these are the people that cry out, will you save me? He also justified, God says, I declare you righteous. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He also glorified. There's like three things quickly from this text. Here's the first, it's not on your handout. Listen, that verse number 28 where it says, we know that all things work together for good. That means all things, but if you read the verse, not all people. It doesn't end up good for all people. It ends up really good for some. That's described in verse 28. All things, not all people. Second, and this will be in your notes. Verse number 28 says there's, it all works together for good. What is this good? What is this good? Hey, and here's how some people do. Good. Romans 8, 28. I lost my job. God must be going to give me a job that pays more. And then it doesn't happen. Bible's a lie. No, that's not what we meant by good. I have a disease. God's going to heal me. Not automatically. Well, the Bible says it's all going to work out for my good. The Bible's a lie. That doesn't happen. Wrong. My team is going to win the championship. Everybody's team cannot win the championship every year. But that's good. Better job, higher paying job, no sickness, harmony in the family, championships, good times. I know how to define good. God says, that's your definition of good. I'm after something way bigger. What is it? Verse 29 tells us the good. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good. What is the good? Christ-likeness. Christian, hear me. You need to hear this. God is laser-focused on your eternal good. Your eternal good. The best he can do for you is to make you like Jesus. And he will do it. You say, how do you know he'll do it? Glad you asked. That brings to the next thought here. Verse 30's past tense verbs guarantee, Christian, hear this, you will become more like Jesus Christ. Ultimately when you are glorified, but along the way you will be becoming more like Christ. Why is that? In God's timing, you will arrive at, hear this, His predetermined destination. What is the destination? Christ-likeness. God has determined you will arrive at the predetermined destination in His time. That means you will be becoming more like Christ. And when you die and leave this world and ultimately get your glorified body, you will be glorified and you'll really be like Christ. You're not going to be God, but you'll be a lot like Christ. So Jeff, (laughs) what does this mean? Here's what it means. We may fail. Eh, We do fail. I fail. But God does not, will not fail because God cannot fail. You say, is that what Romans 8, 28 
to 30 is teaching, absolutely, and the verses that follow it. But if that wasn't enough, go to Philippians. We're going to have another flurry. Here we go, flurry. We had a flurry to prove point number one. We are called to live godly lives. We're going to have a flurry to prove that ultimately it is God's power that provides and produces the righteousness. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to go fast here. Let the text, let the Bible say what it says. Actually, before I put that on the screen, I need to give you the note that precedes it. Right? Here it is. Thank you. Look at that. The New Testament speaks very confidently about a believer's sanctification. And if you're unfamiliar with that term, you say, what is this sanctification? You say, I understand this saved from sins. Here's what the Bible teaches. When a person is saved from sin, they are put on a path of sanctification. Sanctification means set apart. They're being set apart. Set apart from what? Set apart from their sin. Set apart from people who do not have the life of God in them. And set apart to Christ. They're set apart to Christ. Set apart from sin. This is a process. It does not happen instantaneously. But it is a guaranteed process. The New Testament is extremely confident about it. Listen to me right here. Not to offend you or me. Paul has no confidence in your ability to be sanctified. He has full confidence in God's ability. Because it is God's power that is the overarching Power and strength that guarantees our success. It's God's power. Guarantee his reputation's at stake. Again, Jeff, where is this in the scriptures? Philippians 1. This is a New Year's message. You've been called to live godly lives. You should expect godliness to grow in your life. Why? Because God's power is going to cause it to happen. Philippians 1 verse 6. Paul tells this church in Philippi verse 6. And I am sure of this. Here's an inspired writer. That he who began a good work in you, that's Jesus, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I don't have time to camp there. He says, I'm sure of this. He'll bring it to completion. Chapter number 2. You're going to see point number 1 is in verse number 12. You're going to see today's second point in verse number 13. Point number 1, review. Verse number 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, not only when I was in Philippi, you guys obeyed when I was there. Oh, the apostles in town need to do right. No, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here comes point one. Work out. Hey, Grace View, Christian, individual, you sitting there, you, you that are thinking and tracking, you that are in tune with the Holy Spirit right now, watch what he's telling you, say about, telling you about this verse. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't read it like this. Hey, work out your own salvation. That's not what it's saying. You work out your own salvation. You want to go to heaven? You work it out yourself. Not what it's saying. What he's saying is, you got salvation in here? Work it outwardly, fearing and trembling because Jesus has the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. If that's going to happen, go ahead and live like it now. Verse number 13, though, here's point number two today's message. Paul, you want us to be obedient and work out our salvation? Yeah, work it from the inside out? Yeah. For it is God who works God who works. You need to work. Why? For it is God who works in you both to will. You say, I don't know what it is. Jeff, there was some passage you read a while ago, and there was a one word in there, and it kind of smote me and struck me. i got to start working on that. What's happening there? God is working in your will. I want to do that. Verse 13. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He makes you want to do it. He enables you to see it happen. That's Philippians. Flip over to 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Starting to get through some of my markers now. That's a good sign. 1 Thessalonians 5. 
Again, does the Bible really teach confidence of the believer's sanctification, ultimately lying the success, the guaranteed success at the feet of the power of God? Yes, verse 23, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Paul again, hear your Bible. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Remember, set you apart from and to. Completely. Who's going to do this? May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. Look at the end of verse 24. He will surely do it. That's the Bible. The New Testament is so strong on believers. Jeff, are you serious? We should expect godliness to grow in our life? Absolutely. Look at 2 Thessalonians. Flip the page. Verse number 11. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse number 11. Paul tells same churches a little while later. He's now in a new book. To this end, Paul says, we always pray for you. Paul, what do you pray for the Thessalonians? Here it comes. That our God may make you worthy. Our God may make you worthy. God, make them worthy of your calling. And he says, here's what I pray, that our God may fulfill every resolve for good. Here's what that means. God puts a resolve for good in the Christian, and then Paul prays, God, fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. God, when you put a, work, a burden of a work of faith on their heart, God, would you bring it to pass? Why? So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Flip over to chapter 3. Continues. It's just God. Chapter 3, verse number 3. But the Lord is faithful. We're not. We have enemies. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in you. No. In the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Boy, I wish I had time to really emphasize more words in that text. But I don't because I have to keep going. 2 Thessalonians. That was chapter 3 verse 5. Flip over. 1 Peter. I'm going fast. See, I'm really proud of myself now. Going fast now. 1 Peter chapter 1. Got to find my place here. All these markers. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look what your Bible says. Three verses. This is key. Blessed. So it's not just Paul. Well, that's Paul. No, here comes Peter. Blessed, Christian, hear this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. He did the saving. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He saved us through Christ's death, through His resurrection, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, Kept in heaven for you. See what God's doing? He's keeping your inheritance. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It is kept. And you're like, yes, absolutely. Our inheritance is there, but what if we don't make it? Verse 5. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith. He keeps you believing. Being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then the strongest one. You said those weren't the strongest ones? Oh, no. Go to 1 John. Chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. This isn't me saying the following. This is God. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 7. And let's let the text say what it is. It's very plain speech. John is very straightforward. He doesn't apologize. Here's what we should expect. 1 John 3, 7. Here it comes. Little children. 
That's Christians. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness, that doesn't mean they never sin. That just means their life practice, the main of their life. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Flip over. Whoever makes a practice of sinning doesn't mean they don't ever do good things, but it means their basic life pattern is sinning. Well, what does he say there? Whoever, here's what the Bible says. Paul says, John says, don't be deceived, don't be fooled, don't be tricked. Hey, I wonder if somebody's a Christian or not. Well, verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Here it comes. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And in very plain speech, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. That's not saying an act of sin. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Just on and on. Why? For God's seed. That's debated by a lot of people. I believe it's the life of God. I believe it's the Holy Spirit. It's the work of God that's planted in us. However you look at it. Here's what I know the Bible says. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he or she cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God. How are we going to know who the Christian are? By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of, de- of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Can it be any plainer? This is how you'll know. Third point. Go back. Make your way back if you would. Titus 2. Our third point this morning is this. God's proven methods. So you've been called, Christian, you're called to live godly lives. The real power is emanating from God in you. He gets the credit. And here's his methods. Here's a sample. This is not an exhaustive list. Look with me if you would. Again, second, or Titus 2, verse 11. Here we go fast. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and on the other side, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You say, I haven't been doing that. Are you a Christian? Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We just had two things. Verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with with all authority. Three ways that Paul just told Titus how this godliness is going to happen in your life. You want to know God's method? Here it is. Number one, hope in Christ's second coming. You see it in verse 13? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the... Guys, I'm going to tell you this. You say, I haven't thought about the second coming of Christ. The more you think about that, the more you stir that up, the more godly your life will be, I'll promise you. Number two, what does God do? What's his method? What's his proven method that he uses to create and cause godliness in our lives? It's found in verse number 14. Here it is. He makes us zealous for good works. Jesus gave himself to redeem us from lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God makes us zealous. Zealous for what? Good works. Now, I've got to have you. I need everybody to turn here this time. If you have a Bible, go to Ephesians. This is an extremely important passage. Ephesians, follow me there. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Again, we're going to use plain speech this morning. 
is this. This is the most important section, I think, of the message because it brings in all the aspects here. Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10 all together. Watch verse 8. You say, I'm not a Christian. Hear what the Bible says. For by grace you have been saved. He's talking to people who've already been saved. Through faith. So you do have to believe. But that's not a work because he makes it clear. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. Please remember that phrase. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Wait, what? Verse 9, you're saved. Not as a result of works. Verse 10, we are his workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that's eternity past, that we should walk in them. Christian, these are promises about you. I want to make three clear, clear, again, third grader could get this. Three points out of this text. Number one, hear it first. Hear it first. Taste it. You, it's real simple. You cannot be saved from your sins by works. But you are saved from your sins for good works. Write it and then hear it again. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, taking the whole thing. You cannot be saved from your sins by works. But you are saved from your sins for good works. You have to get that order correct. Guys, I'm going to tell you, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you. There's 15 people sitting here right now. If I ask you to tell me why you think you're going to heaven, you're going to give me a version of what I'm about to say. People here, Jeff and lots of other preachers preach grace salvation. Grace salvation. God's salvation. God gives it away. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. They hear that over and over. Yeah, that's right. But I'm getting ready to tell you what they hear in their head. Here's what they're hearing. Right. Need to live right and trust Jesus. That's what you teach, Jeff. Remember, trust Jesus. R- right, right. But I, I'm talking about how, how do you know you're going to heaven? What are you trusting going to heaven? I just told you. You've got to serve God and trust Jesus. No. That is whacked out wrong thinking. Don't ever attribute that teaching to me because that's not New Testament teaching. You say, what's wrong with that? The order is all wrong. Don't ever think this. Uh, if I come talk to you, hey, so, hey, tell me about your salvation experience. When did you become a Christian? I'm ultimately going to follow that because after you tell me when and where, I'm really going to say, and, and how do you know? What are you trusting? Oh, you know. You know, trust Jesus, you know, read my Bible and go to church. Well, okay, we're talking about salvation, the event of salvation. Right. Whoa. You're not on your way to heaven. You say, what? Write it down. This is going to be super simple. God rejects any work as a means of salvation and any work as a completer of salvation. God says, I reject it. Here you come. Oh, no, the last two weeks, Jeff, I prayed that sinner's... Let me reword it. I said that sinner's prayer that you gave the last two Sundays, Jeff. I said it. So? That's why I'm going to heaven. 
Your nicely worded prayer does not save you. God's looking for something else. You say, what is he looking for? Do you believe his promise? Now, if because you believe his promise prompts you to confess your sins and ask Jesus to save you, that's salvation. It isn't writing on your prayer. So to complete the, the point here, God rejects any work as a means of or a completer of salvation. Hear me. If you are saved, I don't know who's really saved in here or not. I know me. You don't know if I am. I might be faking. I might be faking. I know I'm not. And God knows I'm not. Eternity will tell about us all. I know this. If you are saved, it's because God gave you salvation as a free gift, no strings attached, and you received it as a free gift. That's what happened. If you have been or if you will, that's what happened. Third quick point on these verses. I told you this is the most important part of this message. Here it comes. So God rejects any work as a completer or as a means. Watch. But God equally rejects any supposed faith that does not result in good works. He rejects any work to get the salvation, but God rejects any supposed faith that does not lead to good works. To put it even more plainly, hear this, you cannot change to get saved, but if you do not change after being saved, you never were saved. Hey, Jeff, do you think my, and you mention your relative, and do you think they're a Christian or not? I have no idea. And you start giving me a description. Here's what I know. Here's what the text is teaching us in all these passages here. You cannot change to get saved, but if you do not change after you supposedly got saved, you never were saved. James, very, very fast. James chapter 2. James 2. Verse 14. We actually looked at this a few weeks ago. James 2, the key is 14, <coughs> plays it out in the verses that follow him, but the key is verse 14. Watch the screen if you're following there or on, in your Bible. James asks a very good question. What good is it? Hey, what good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works. What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, again, not poor brands, just they don't have enough clothing, and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, hey, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but without giving them things needed for the body, what good? That's the same. What good is that? I told them. I said it. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 14, here's this question. What good is it if someone says? So here it comes. Hey, how come, you, how come you're going to heaven? Oh, I'm, I'm, I have faith. Do you? I have faith. I'm going to have it by faith. That's all. That sounds good. That sounds really good. It sounds really biblical. That's very encouraging. That's the right answer. But if your supposed faith never results in works that are pleasing to God, it's not faith. It's fake. And you're on your way to hell. Jeff, you do not sound like yourself today. That's what the text says. You can say all you want. Proof's in the pudding. If it never produces works, it's faith. And then Titus chapter 2 gives us the third thing God uses. He says, remind, uh, I'm sorry, verse, Titus chapter 2, verse 15. Titus, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Ch Titus 3, verse 8. 
The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Hey, I know I've been up here an hour and two minutes, right? I know this. But I can see that clock back there. Well, actually, I think I'm right at an hour right now. So hang with me. Watch this. This is important. What does God use? Hope in the second coming. He makes us zealous for good works. And God uses preaching and teaching of His truths, God's truths. That's what God uses. I think I will skip the last note, but I do want to hit this passage. The Hebrews 10. Can we have that on the screen? If you want to go there, Hebrews 10. I feel that this is important. I hardly ever hit this. And I struggled with how to hit it today, but you know what? It needs to be hit. It fits this message. Christians are called to live godly lives. Ultimately, it is God's power that produces the godliness in it. Here's some things God uses. He uses hope in the second coming of the Lord. He produces a desire, a zeal in us to do good works. He does that. If that's not in you, something's bad, wrong. And the third thing, God uses preaching and teaching of His truths. Where do we find that? Here's a sample. Hebrews 10, 21, the writer of the Hebrews says, Since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near. Here's about prayer. Drawing near, worshiping God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Watch verse 23. Here's more of these imperatives. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold fast. Don't quit. Endure. Hold fast. The confession of our hope. Don't let anyone steal it from you. Why? For he who promised is faithful. Two, four, two more verses. And let us consider. What does God use to bring about godliness? Hope in the second coming of Christ. He produces a zeal to do good works. But here comes another method. Let us consider. Let us. Not Jeff. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, plain speech. I don't sound like being preacher, so I'm just going to... Paul tells Titus, Declare, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So I want to cover this text briefly. God's plan to bring about godliness in your life is for you to faithfully attend, assemble with His people, to study His Word, and to think of ways to encourage each other to love God, to love each other, and to think of ways to encourage, exhort, prod, provoke each other to do good works. That's what we're supposed to be doing here. We study the truths of God and we think of ways to encourage, exhort, prod, provoke each other. That's God's plan. That's what works. That, your private time with God, coupled with corporate time with God's people in community. But here's what I find. Unfortunately, many Christians... And obviously many supposed Christians. But many Christians allow what I have found two things, one of two things, to keep them from fulfilling. Verse 25. You say, what is it? 
Here's one. Trouble. A lot of people allow trouble. Our county is full of people who are supposed members of churches. And we have them here too. Every church has them. There's happened to us in 2018 what they're trying to say is by the way i am not talking about the homebound person praise the lord for brandon's work and chris's work and joyce and all them and these that are running these cameras the truly homebound can now get in on a little bit of what we're doing i'm not talking about them but i'm talking about the person that's supposed to be a member of the church but they rarely ever, ever come when you come in contact with them they start telling you about trouble as though that's what's been keeping them from the house of god and that'll be somebody here this coming year. You'll stop by the end of the year. And when we come across you, you'll go, oh yeah, we had this and that and that. And by the way, trouble hits, and sometimes it hits hard, hard, heavy, often, in huge doses, much more. And it's a... But here's the trouble. When you step back and look at the life, here's what's reality. They still go to work. They still go see family. And they still go to the beach. But they can't make it to the house of God. I literally am thinking of people right now that are members here. And here's what you hear. Oh, they got this and that going on. Got this and that going on. But aren't they still going, still going to work, still going to see family, and still going to the beach? Jennifer, you're against the beach? Absolutely not. I was down there three weeks ago. I'm all for it. But when you just use those things, here's all you're really saying. Work is here. God's house is here. Going to be with families here. Obeying Hebrews 10.25 is down here. I ain't got time for that. That's not important. These have to, now we're not letting these troubles keep us from that. You say, oh boy, I've got a guess inside me and our preachers up there acting like that today. What is going on? Big wrong week. I promise he's usually not this bad. You need to come back next week. Uh, you know the second thing that people use? Prosperity. Rewind. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You rewind 50 years ago. People didn't miss church as often as they do today. And I'll tell you what's happened. America has so much disposable income. Weekend, 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 weekend. We've only got 52 and we had one taken from us the other day by weather, right? I think we made a good call there. We only got 51. But prosperity. I, I'm not, again, I get three weeks a year and I'm going to use those. I feel like that I need those with my family and we recharge. I'm not against time away and vacation. But guys, we're talking about 12, 15, 18? Like, what is going on? It's like it's almost a bad thing for you to be so blessed by God. You're letting your prosperity keep you from the house of God. I'm going to skip that last. If you want your last note, it comes from 2 Timothy, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 7. I'll not read it. Here's MacArthur's note. Even though God has poured his divine power into the believer, if you'll read the text, you'll see exactly that. MacArthur says the Christian himself is required to make every disciplined effort alongside of what God has done. God has poured his power, he's given his promises. 
Okay? So Jeff, hold on, time out. Time out, Jeff. Sanctification. You're saying it's going to happen. Oh yeah, if you're a real Christian, it's going to happen. So is it me? Or is it God? Great question. What's the end? Watch. It's going to happen. Oh, it's going to happen. You will be becoming more like Christ. Man, it's a process. Is it me or is it God? It is God. In you. Causing you to want to obey His imperatives and His will and love Him and want to please Him and glorify Him and not dishonor Him. God is doing it. God is putting it in you and you need to obey His prompting. The whole reason I preach this message, I want to inform you of what God will do and what He's promised He will do. I want to encourage you with what God says He will do. But I also want to exhort you to submit. Listen to me. When God puts that good work in your heart for 2019, surrender to it and do it. You want to let, let you know a little secret? Lottie Moon, we've already, we're already over the $10,000 goal. Now, you can hear that and go, I thought I was going to have to give. I held out. I held out to the Yes. Thank you, guys. Now, I don't have to. If God put it on your heart, then do it. Do it. We'll get more. I think we're over 11,000. I have no idea. Some of you probably dropped something in the day. Do it. Listen. Is there a specific sin? God says, hey, that, I want that killed this year. You kill it. You kill it. How? I want, to, I want you to study and apply and read specific portions of Scripture that deal with that specific sin because it's time. 2019, I'll deal with that this year. Do it. Obey these urges. They come from God. More private time for God right now. Say, hey, 2019, you may not know it. We're going to spend more private time. Somebody here, this year, you will learn how to pray. So how am I going to learn how to pray? Go back, October, November, maybe some December. Hear those. Get a good book. Do it. Start praying. There are people sitting here right now. Their prayer life grew this year. They didn't know at the start of 2018. This year, you say, you know what? I'm not going to be on the sidelines anymore. I'm going to be a faithful member of a faith family. I'm going to get in Christian community. Why? Because when we get Christian community, we rehearse these truths of God. I have the life of God in me. The life of God in me as a Christian recognizes the truth of God when I hear it. Makes me want to do it. And that's what the Holy Spirit uses and applies that. And that's where the change happens. I've got to be faithful. Me and God in some private time. And me and God's people. This year, I'm going to be faithful to a community of believers. Or you say, I'm already doing that. Hey, is this the year? You get off the bench. And you say, hey, Brandon, I need to buy you lunch. Grace, we can't buy all the lunches, okay? <laughs> Brandon, I need to buy you lunch, buddy. Yeah, what are we meeting about? I got served this year. Where can I serve? Let's talk. What's your gift? Where's your passion? Where do you want to serve? Heads about eyes closed. I can talk all afternoon. I'm telling you, you know that. 